You're listening to the IFF TV podcast, presented by Paul Nealon. Hello and welcome to Irish Football Fan TV. This is the final word on Republic of Ireland nil, Ukraine won. Uh, we're still getting over the disappointment of last night's game. I'm joined by Gary. Uh, Gary, are you feeling any better today than you were last night when we left the Aviva? Ah, well, personally, I'm feeling fine, but I was very, very disappointed with the the performance last night and, and the result. And I, I think we've had the two games this month. We've had two very, very disappointing performances and two very disappointing results. And unfortunately, I think we got exactly what we deserved in both games. I mean. You can have situations you're sitting, you're blaming the referee or something like that, or blaming bad luck. I, I, I don't think it was either of those. I think um, there were two games we were given fantastic opportunities to win them. Armenia, we should be able to go there and win. And Ukraine, given they played seven debutants, they completely made 10 changes from Sunday. We were effectively facing a second string opposition that hadn't played together. We really, at home, we really should have gone and won that game as well. And in both cases, we, we didn't do it. Yeah, well, I just, yeah, well, I suppose, look, we'll, we'll we'll go into the lineup and kind of work our way through the game. So uh, the lineups, um, Kelleher stayed in goal. Uh, the back three stayed the same with Nathan Collins, Shane Duffy and John Egan in there. Uh, Cyrus Christie came in for Seamus Coleman because Coleman uh, picked up a groin injury. Then uh, Ender Stevens stayed at left wing back and then in midfield it was jo- uh, Jeff Hendrick and Josh Cullen. Callum Robinson on it was uh, down the middle and it was Jason Knight and Chiodosi Ogbene as the kind of two number 10 attacking midfielders if you would like. Um, where the lineup up because I actually wasn't talking to you just before when the lineups had gone out but when, when you saw the lineup. Were you surprised that there were so few changes from the game against Armenia? Yeah, so effectively there was only one change in that uh, Cyrus was always going to start when uh, when Seamus was out. Now, I wonder, was it maybe a little change of formation as well in that Jason Knight seemed to play that bit further back even be- between the attack and midfield? Um, so, yeah, I was probably surprised given how how flat we were on Saturday. But then I, I suppose maybe Stephen looked at it and said, look, this is a chance to go out and redeem yourselves and put in a performance. Uh, so I can see the thinking from that point of view. But uh, So maybe I wasn't that surprised. I'd be absolutely shocked if it's the same lineup on Saturday. Yeah, well, I think some changes have to be made and we'll discuss players who played and came on and so on. But uh, I suppose, like, in the early start of the game, we did start brightly. Like, we were forcing them into errors. I remember early on we were pressing them right back and we it did look like they didn't know what to do. Like, they, they did struggle to get out at this very, very, very start. And then Ogbené had a good chance where he intercepts, I think it was from the goalkeeper. Um, he reads a pass to the full-back. And then he gets into the box, or just tries to hit the ball into the box across to uh, Callum Robinson. But it was a bit of a weak effort, so unfortunately nothing really happened from it. But it set the tone that we were going to be the ones taking it to this Ukraine side. And this Ukraine side was um, 
if you had watched the opposition preview we did, you would have saw that, you know, it was predicted that they were going to play a weakened team, um, weakened in comparison to their first strength or full strength um, starting 11 that they would have played against Wales and Scotland. So I think they were giving some players a night off uh, just because it was, a, you know, a grueling couple of days. There was a lot at stake for those players and emotionally, I can't imagine that was easy on them as well. So a lot of these players who came in were looking for a chance to state their claim for a spot going forward because I'd imagine a lot of players are looking at kind of their international career going, right, well, where am I and what age am I type thing. So I think they've a lot of good young players coming through at the moment who wanted to come on and make an impact. So I suppose we'll just run through it. Like, um, you know, Knight had an early chance when he cut in from the left, showed some quick feet, and um, he hits a shot. But again, it was straight at the keeper. Um, four minutes in, we started quick. That was the Ogbeni bit. Then um, Jason Knight again. He drove forwards towards the box with a decent effort, and uh, the keeper had to push it out. Then Lunan for uh, for a corner in the twelfth minute, and Knight lost possession on the left hand side, um, and the ball fell to Mudrick. I think I remember him trying to chase after him and close him down, and uh, luckily Mudrick hit it over the bar, and uh, it didn't tr trouble Kelleher. Mikelenko then uh, had a cross on the left hand side, if you remember, in the fourteenth minute, and uh, Shaparenko headed wide uh, from his header, and then Mikelenko had an effort then uh, from range. Um, but the, or sorry, he played in uh, Mudrick and then he scuffed it because he went on that little run from the left-hand side cutting in and he scuffed his shot. So there were danger signs were, were there around that point. Then Dovbik runs from deep into the Irish half, misses the target with his effort before Benny had a great chance on the counter-attack. But again, his decision-making at that moment wasn't good enough. Um, and then... Uh, uh, there was a chance with Ogbeni as well where he had kind of brought the ball forwards and he took, he looked like he had all the time in the world to take the shot and then he just took too long and then the defender recovered and uh, made the block. I think you can remember that, uh, that one, Gary. So that was kind of uh, the first 20 minutes and it was kind of fairly even at that point if you're looking at the chances, but I did think that we were probably the better side um, at that stage of the game. Yeah, no, actually, I'm surprised you mentioned so many Ukraine chances in the first 20 minutes because I did think for maybe the first 20, 25 minutes, we were the better team. We certainly started with a very good tempo. We we had them on the back foot and uh, it, it really, it, it, it seemed great. But, I mean, they were just a young team, a new team finding their feet and uh, I, I think even the chances you mentioned was probably the signs that even in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes, they were starting to to find their feet, take a bit of control. And uh, you mentioned Ogbeni on the break, even in the early early stages of the game. And uh, so, yeah, um, I, I thought we did shade, let's say, the first half of the first half. But you'll probably go on to talk about the the rest of the first half and and most of the second half now. Yeah, well, I just felt as that at that point they were starting to kind of get the edge on us. Um, Dovvik has the chance where uh, Shane Duffy makes a brilliant block in typical Shane Duffy style, where his body on the line, he makes a brilliant block. Then it was actually after that Ogbeni does the the counter attack and tries to play, and I think it was Robinson and loses the ball, and then we're on. Um, the defence again and uh, they have a shot but it's straight at Kelleher 32nd minute Hendrick with a perfectly timed pass uh, into Robinson and this is a real talking point that we actually missed in our after match reaction I don't think we really went into it but uh, 
in my opinion, I, I just watched it back. I just shared it on a, on our Instagram as well. There's a lot of different talking points. A lot of people are saying um, it wasn't a penalty. A lot of people saying it was a penalty. It's very much divided. A lot of people saying Robinson was already going down. But I, I, I thought it was a penalty. He clearly kicks him in the back of the calf. Um, you could say he was falling down or whatever you want. If that is anywhere else in the pitch, it's a foul. It happened in the box. For me, it's a penalty. And I've seen them given so many times. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, uh, I've had this. It, it's one of those. Uh, as you say, it's, if it happens outside the penalty box, it's a foul all day long. He he put his foot on on, on the back of Callum Robinson's calf. By the way, it was a great pass from Jeff Hendrick, so uh, maybe not lose sight of that. Uh, for me, yeah, it was definitely. a penalty. Yeah, I agree. For me, it was a penalty. Um, I don't know, actually, whether VAR did a check on it. I can't remember. I know we were talking about it at the time. And we thought it was a penalty live as well. Um, I don't remember if there was a VAR check. The problem is uh, certainly the way VAR works in England. And I know Just it works to Gary, I, I, I rewatched it earlier and it said uh, on RT that they were checking it. Um, and that was as far as they went with it. So uh, it okay. seems as they checked it. But yeah, sorry, okay. carry on. Because I, 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 yeah, I did look at the screen. I didn't see anything on a VAR check. But um it's the point I was trying to make really is in, in the Premier League in England, and I know UEFA do it slightly differently. In the Premier League, they kind of very rarely overturn those that they decide, oh, the referee saw it and decided it wasn't a penalty, um, which is a bit frustrating from my point of view because, likewise, if the ref saw it and gave the penalty, they wouldn't overturn it either. For me, I thought it was a penalty, um, and it could it could have changed the game. Uh, I can see why people would argue that it wasn't, but for me, if you if you put your foot in someone's calf and you're nowhere near the ball, which the defender was, then for me, it's a it's a penalty. Yeah, I was just looking at the comments of that uh, video. Stephen Elliott, who used to play for Ireland, actually commented on it and said it was never a penalty. So uh, I'll tell you exactly what he said here. I just don't want the volume to come on. Uh, sleeves, Elliott, where are you? Um, Never a penalty. Defender gets the ball and there is a coming together where CR is already down. But again, uh, sorry, Sleeves. I know you've played football at the top level and everything and played for Ireland, but for me, it's a penalty. Um, well, well, did, did he, well, maybe maybe I haven't watched it enough times then. Did he actually get the ball before he made contact with Callum Robinson's calf? I don't think he did. Maybe I need to watch like it back again. I need to watch doesn't it look like then. it's me, but like yeah. the fact is, at the end of the day, Robinson had the touch of the ball and he's going for the ball and then he gets kicked in the calf, which makes him fall down completely. So, yeah, as that's... I said, if, it's, if that's anywhere else in the pitch, it's a foul. So, it's a, for me, it's a penalty. Richie Sadler said it was a penalty. Stephen Kelly on RTE said it was a penalty in the commentary as well. It's very, very mixed at the moment. Um, anyway... 37th minute, VAR, our old friend, um, rightly rules out uh, Ukraine's opener. Uh, Dovbik's toe was uh, ruled offside when uh, I watched it back on the replay. But yeah. at the same time, I felt as though Jason Knight was fouled in the build-up to that goal. As you mentioned, it was an incredible shot. It was an incredible strike. Um, but at that stage, I did feel like the ref was doing us no favours. And uh, it's something we probably didn't touch about, talk about enough is that first half. Ogbeni was getting fell quite a, quite a lot and getting absolutely nothing, um, and a couple of other Irish players. And then when they were getting the same type of fells, they were getting them. And I'm not looking to blame the referee for for the result. It wasn't good enough, I know. But um, 
let's let's be realistic here that the ref did us no favors especially in the first half he got better in the second half in terms of giving us more stuff but in the first half he gave us nothing but uh, yeah, I, think I so. suppose uh, your thoughts on the goal yeah i think i i think it's fair enough comment that i i was a bit frustrated by him in the first half second half i thought he did fine i i think we were very lucky to to get the goal chalked off i mean as you say it was a toe it was very very close yeah the there was a foul, I think, maybe on Jason Knight, but I don't think VAR would have ruled the goal out um, for that. I think the referee probably saw it and decided to let it go. I don't think VAR would have overturned him on that. So I think by a hair's breadth uh, on offside, we were very fortunate there. That and it does give a warning sign as well, and probably the warning that, that, that at that point a Ukraine goal would not have been a shock the way the game had turned. It was a very well-executed goal. It was a, a fantastic finish. Uh, as you say, possibly a foul on, on Jason Knight. Yeah, I don't think... I, I, I think uh, Chidozio Bene could have done some more protection by the referee. That was a bit frustrating, but that was more in the first half, I thought. Second half, he was fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, look, it was, it was Choco. I, I actually thought it was a foul on Jason Knight. There was a push in the back before before he gets the ball. And then, as I said, it was some strike. Um you would have been proud of it if you had hit it yourself, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, uh, in the 45th minute then, uh, we had three minutes additional time, leading us into half time, which takes me into my next point. Both sides have had their chances. Ukraine have had the ball in the net, disallowed by VAR, and Ireland should have had a penalty for foul on Callum Robinson, despite people even in our comments now saying that uh, he got the ball, like Tom Webb there says he got the ball. Um, but, look, that's just uh, our opinion, and everyone has a different opinion on that. So, uh Anyway, your thoughts at halftime, um, the fact that they'd scored that goal, the fact that we didn't get the penalty, were you thinking it was going to be our day, not our day? Um, do you know, because we, we, we don't really discuss these types of things at halftime. It's usually like one of us has to run up and down to the to the jacks or, or go get food or whatever. Um, so I think we, we didn't really get a chance to kind of discuss that at halftime. We only really get to discuss things at halftime. All right, full-time, I mean, sorry. Um, but at halftime... Be optimistic, pessimistic. What? Where was your head at for the? Yeah, for the I, I, kind of looking back. I, first of all, I was glad to hear the halftime whistle. I mean, there are games when you don't want halftime to come if your team is on top. And let's say 15, 20 minutes into the game, I would have felt we were very on top. Coming towards halftime, I think they'd got a real grip on the game and they had pushed us back. So personally, I was glad when halftime came. And I was a bit relieved. I said we can go in, regroup a bit and maybe change things a little for the second half because I I'd felt they'd got on top. It had been over the 45 minutes, I think a pretty even enough half. We were probably, I, I thought we were definitely the better team in the first half of the half and they were the better team in the, the, the second half. But um, yeah, so I suppose at halftime I thought it could go either way, and uh, but halftime came at the right time for us. Yeah, it's just Nathan uh, saying there, as soon as it was nil-nil at halftime, you could see that it had one-nil written all over for Ukraine. Um, I don't know, like, I felt as though maybe if that penalty had been given to us, then we, if we scored that goal, we could go on to dominate from then. The lads have that bit of confidence. I think that the longer it stayed at nil-nil, the, the, the more the Irish team felt as though they probably weren't going to score. Um, it's just kind of that kind of kind of game. But anyway, 47th minute, 
I was just coming back up from, as I just spoke about there, being down below. Um, so you would have seen what happened in the build-up to the free kick that led to the goal. Um, a lot of people had said it was John Egan's fault. Um, so you might, you might remember back to, to the moment yeah, where he so, makes the fell. So actually, if I go back even a little bit before that, because we started the second half on the front foot, and uh, I think it was Jason Knight actually had a, a great chance at the start of the second half. So if anything, we could have gone out and taken the lead right after half time. Unfortunately, we didn't take it. And yeah, the ball came out um, to, to one of their players. I don't remember which one. And John Egan uh, probably dived in a bit. It was a bit of a stupid foul, but it was right on the touchline. And it was a long way out. I mean, it's one of those free kicks you wouldn't... Uh, I think you wouldn't be that concerned about defending. I mean, he was basically the ball was effectively placed just inside the touchline, so the free kick had a a long, long way to travel. And uh, look, we didn't defend it. Um, we didn't defend it properly at all. Um, there were quite a few players there who were maybe reasonably close to Quivine Kelleher who perhaps had opportunities to clear it. And and certainly, I, 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 sorry, I know Stephen Kenny absolved him from blame and said it was a bad bounce, but I, I don't think a goalkeeper should be beaten from a shot that goes in from that distance, no matter how strange the bounce was. It really was one that um, he probably just should have been coming out to claim. I think... I think I, I watched it back and I do kind of, I, I actually was watching I, I literally came up the steps and turned around and saw the goal as it as it happened. I, t- I saw the free kick and I saw it go in and as soon as I saw it let leave his foot and I saw in front of him there was Duffy and Egan and on any other day they get their head to it. But Egan it looked like he'd felled whoever he was marking, he felled him and it probably would have been given as a penalty if it hadn't gone in. So he he kind of blocks off Duffy getting to the ball because he's fixated on fouling. Uh, I think it's Dovbrick, um, or Dovbick, sorry. Um, and then literally, as he probably would normally meet the ball, it he misses it and it bounces down. And that stage is too late for Kelleher to react. So I, I think it actually is kind of more what happens in front of him and not actually something that he can do about it. Like I'm, I'm not a goalkeeping expert or anything like that, but I, I watch it back and you can feel sorry for him. It's one of those balls that, you know, if you took the free kick, you'd have been happy with it because it's one of those where it's in between the defenders and the goalkeeper and they don't know who to go for it. And maybe Duffy thought, if I go for this, I'm probably going to score an own goal and he might have left it as well. So that might have been running through his mind. But because no one was decisive enough to go and actually head the ball, we'll never know that. And that's how it went in. So I don't know if I would actually put all of the blame on Kelleher there and I do think that if the goal hadn't been given that a penalty would have been given against us um, on a foul by John Egan so it, it could have went either way you know yeah I didn't see, I didn't actually see the penalty at all or that incident so I hadn't um, it was I like it coming together but it looked as though okay. Egan had pulled him to the ground and uh, he was lying on the ground in at that stage and I think there was a VAR okay. check so when the goal went in 
And I think that was to see whether he had done it to Egan, but I think it would have been the other way around. Look, it wasn't given, so it, it, this is all hypothetical, yeah. but yeah, I, I think I, there's I, reasons why the keeper didn't get to the ball. Okay. That's what I feel. I, I, I don't, even if you're right, and even if John Egan, yeah, actually, when I did looking back at the VAR check, I think they were checking if the Ukrainian guy had fouled John Egan, but I don't think you get a penalty in those situations, even though I may be contradicting. You probably should, because it is a foul in the penalty area. But Typically, a lot of those uh, are let go by referees, a lot of holding and all that in the box when those free kicks go in. But technically, you're probably right. It probably was a penalty. But um, yeah, I'm not maybe not putting all the blame on Quivine, but that ball travelled a long way and uh, it bounced. And yeah, certainly, I mean, our, our defence, somebody should have been there to, to clear it. But um, it still it still went a long way and into, into the net. And uh, for me, that was disappointing. Yeah, I just I, I just wouldn't be putting solely the blame on him for the goal. That's all I'm saying. Um, Liverpool fans would probably appreciate that. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> in the 50th minute, uh, Dovbick gets the better of Shane Duffy, goes past him and Egan and this fella... Nathan Collins makes a block and he was just making blocks throughout the whole game. I thought, I said it 10 minutes in, I said 10 minutes into the game, I think Nathan Collins is going to be a future star. He looked head and shoulders above everybody else on the pitch and I know he finished the season brilliantly with Burnley. I know the club didn't finish brilliantly but he did himself and I think he... I think he's going to be massive for us going forward and I think, you know, he was... He was a large part of why Burnley done well towards the back end of the season. And, you know, maybe, look, I think Duffy can be like that as well when he's playing a rule of games. He can be like that for Ireland where he looks as though nothing's going to get past him. Think of the Portugal game. But he needs a run of games for him to be like that. Um, whereas Nathan Collins, he came in off the back of a, of a nice end to the season. He was starting games regularly in the Premier League. And um, he just looked composed assured dominant um he never really looked like anyone was going to get past him he always looked like he was in control of every moment defensively um and he looked as though he was trying to g up the rest of the players at times he was trying to carry the ball he was getting felled a good bit actually when he was taking on players and getting felled and you could see he was visibly frustrated at times when just people around him probably weren't as mobile as they as they probably should have so uh yeah, look, Nathan Collins, uh, at that point, I was singing his praises throughout the game. I think you were laughing at me because I was just talking about him so much, just being like, oh, there he is again. There he is again, blocking another ball. There he is again. But anyway, um, in the 58th minute, John Egan went off for Darrow O'Shea. Um, it was like for like at that stage. It took about three minutes for Darrow O'Shea to come on because uh, the ball didn't go out of play, so that was a bit nervy. And uh, Ukraine were, were actually doing all right at that point. 61 minutes, uh, yeah, um... I'd said maybe Obafemi or Parrot or Ebazelli could liven things up for for front two. Maybe instead of the way we were playing, it would maybe cause more problems, I'd said. So then uh, 68 minutes comes by. Triple substitution for the Republic of Ireland. Brown, McLean and Obafemi all came on for uh, Christy Stevens and Robinson. And then they uh, made a double sub as well. Um, nothing really went on around that point. But then 77 minutes, CJ Hamilton came on for uh, Chiodosi, who had a who just had a bad game. He hasn't had a good window so far. He'll be looking to obviously finish that strongly with the next two two games. Um, then uh, pretty much we started getting into the game. Then when Hamilton came on, I, I felt we were a bit more direct. 78-minute chance. Uh, Obafemi with a great in-swing and cross. The ball drops to Shane Duffy. 
and he rattles the crossbar. Big chance then uh, from the resulting corner where Obafemi, he just couldn't direct. I watched that again. He just couldn't direct the header. It was one of those where you literally, you have to hit it first time. You can't like think about it. It's one of those and sometimes it just swings into the corner. It just went by the post. But he looked lively when he came on. He gave us a bit of hope, I felt, um, from a goal scoring. And he looked sharp. He didn't look sharp against Armenia, but he did look sharp last night when he came on. I'll be hoping that he can start the game against Scotland now, but what did you make of kind of up to that point from probably the, the time they scored to the subs and everything like that? Um, and then Hamilton and Albafemi came on, the difference they made. Yeah, so I think they did make a difference because, and maybe this is another concerning thing, when we went behind in Armenia, it took about another 10 minutes before we really had a goal. And the same thing, Ukraine, after the goal, this, they were the ones that seemed to just take control and grow in confidence. And uh, if anything, let's say for the next 20 minutes or so after the goal, even more, uh, maybe even 30 minutes actually, uh, it was far more likely to be 2-0 than it was to be 1-1. So I agree with you on the substitutions. They definitely made a difference. I think Michael Obafemi, excuse me, it certainly justified his... Um, his inclusion and has made a strong case to start on Saturday. Um, yeah, I thought he maybe should have done better with the header, but I'll, I'll take your point on it that it was one he had to take for first time. I've seen him actually score goals like that. Uh, unfortunately, not not last night. Um, CJ Hamilton definitely made a difference and he seemed to have something about him. So he's worth giving more time to as well. And uh, yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, as you said, Shane Duffy rattled the bar. Um, we had a couple of other chances, but um, it's uh, really, again, it was only in late flurries. Okay, we could have nicked a point, definitely. There's no doubt about it. Maybe if the game had gone on for another few minutes, we might have got something. I, I said it to you, I think, last night. It was reminding me of the Serbia game when we were probably outplayed for good chunks of the game. And in that case, we did get the late equaliser. And maybe that papered over a couple of things for that game. But in fairness, that Serbian team was a real quality side. But um, And Ukraine last night were decent, don't get me wrong. But they were missing a, a hell of a lot of players. Yeah, um, Bazuna was unbelievable in that Serbia game as well. Don't forget, uh, he made save after save to keep us in the game. And we did get lucky. I, I mean, I remember thinking the ball went in off Shane Duffy's arse, but it actually went in off the defender. So yeah. we were blessed that day in terms of uh, how it put. Again, we, we don't care. Once we're getting results and you know there's a bit of a buzz there, that's what we want as football fans. Um, so I don't think you know, you're looking at that um, in a negative sense. Uh, the 82nd minute then, uh, Josh Cullen had a great shot from distance, which you didn't think was uh, very close at the time, but it did look close to me. Just uh, brushed by the post. Uh, McLean, uh, free kick ball in. Duffy makes contact uh, and is ruled offside. They made a couple of subs in that sense. Uh, Knight gets the token Carlsberg man of the match. He's been good, but uh, Nathan Collins would be our Irish man of the match, we had said. Um, and then just uh, the 90th minute, Ireland just had a great chance. It fell, fell to Jason Knight literally after he was called out as the man of the match. Um, he had a great chance and he just doesn't get over the ball. Um, he's leaning back a slight bit and it just he, he makes a great connection with the ball. But because he's leaning back, he just hits it over. And uh, it was unfortunate because it would have been a great way to, to finish off the game, getting back into it. And it would have been a great goal in terms of the, the strike. Um, 
And it, I think it, that would have been his first goal in the Aviva if he had scored. Um, then uh, the 90th minute, that man again. Nathan Collins makes another fantastic interception after Soigankov has uh, had an effort goal bound. Uh, Collins deflected it onto the bar. And then that was it. It was full time then after that. But uh, Nathan Collins there with, a, with another excellent uh, interception because or block even because that hits the bar and it probably was going in otherwise. And I just felt throughout he was he was absolutely excellent. Uh, no doubt about it. I, I actually said it my three talking points as well. For me, he was our man of the match as well. I was very impressed with him. Um, couple of people around me as well were certainly a bit shocked. I thought Jason I was our second best player and maybe he started the game very well and uh, he had some good spells in it as well. But for me, Nathan Collins was our best player and uh, I suppose that's definitely a bright spot on the night. Uh, he's one that's going to be around for many years to come and uh, I hope he gets back to the Premier League soon. If not with Burnley, then I, I would imagine some Premier League club will uh, be interested in signing him. Yeah, well, I'm just going to go run through the, st the stats from the game um, just really quickly. So, uh, they had possession there. We had 47% uh, and they had 53. Uh, they had 38 attacks. We had 43. We to 13 total attempts for us, 14 for them. Both uh, had four shots on target, uh, three off target for us and five for them. Uh, shots blocked we had six, I'd say all of them were Nathan Collins. No, I'd say five of them were Nathan Collins and one of them was Shane Duffy. Uh, five by Ukraine. Then our passing accuracy was 84% of theirs was 86. Um, not much else in, in that. Um, it's just balls recovered and crosses completed and stuff. We had eight pa uh, crosses completed. So, yeah, uh, that was it really in terms of the the stats is a couple of people coming in with, with comments and uh, we'll probably go through a couple of them before signing off so um kian says what did you think of the choice of brown right wing back instead of trying a bizelli which is a good point um i know alan brown's played there for preston a few times and that's the only thinking i can have behind it I think maybe it's a game where we're losing 1-0. He doesn't want to bring Festy in and he doesn't want him then getting the wrath of the crowd on, on his back if he doesn't play well. And the 10 minutes, a bit like Obafemi coming off the bench against Armenia. There might have been that thinking involved in it. But I can't see why he's not getting in there. Another factor I would probably point out as well is why Dan McNamara wasn't called into the squad. Um, if Seamus is pulled out now, I don't understand why Danny McNamara isn't uh, being brought in as, you know, he's he's played, I think, 35 games in the Championship. He got Millwall's young player of the season. He's a slight bit older than Festia Bazzelli. And if you can play in front of uh, the Den in Millwall, in front of a hostile, you know, crowd like that, I think he can play f for anyone. Um, that's just my take. I, I was just surprised he wasn't in the squad. I, I really feel as though we could have used him. And he's pacey and he's everything a right wing back in a modern game you would want. I think he will play for us soon, but it just boggles the mind that he has someone like Cyrus Christie in there who hasn't even got a club. You know, um, I don't think, do we have, we have maybe one Premier League player in the, no, well, not really a, reg, a Premier, Premier League regular starting for us. And that's in our, 
starting 11 our, our first choice starting 11 um Shane Duffy doesn't play regularly for Brighton and Callagher doesn't play regularly for um Liverpool but still good players in their own right but I think this I think people as well have to kind of look at where we are as a as a nation that our top players just are not playing and, and I saw people giving out to us in the comments the other day going why are you comparing people with the Premier League this that and the other um it's not that it's just we're depending on championship players to do what a lot of you know Premier League players and the best players that we've had play for the country in recent times have done and they've all been playing top level and they've been able to get us out of sticky situations whereas I don't think this group of players are as reliable but anyway I'll get your thoughts on um on that comment by Keen Boggan yeah it's probably a, a fair comment I mean I, I can see why Stephen went with Adam Brown because he scored goals from him in the past but he didn't do well when he came on. And uh, although you said he did play there for Preston, it's certainly not his natural position. I think the one thing Festy would have brought would have been pace. And maybe late in the game with players tiring, it would have been good to have a lot of pace in the right wing, right wing back position. So given that we were one nil down and it's easy to look back with hindsight, maybe Festy would have been the, the better choice. I definitely agree with Danny McNamara. He's very popular with the Millwall fans. Uh, you do mention it's a tough crowd, but I'll tell you, they, they really back their players as well. And uh, they really know their football. Uh, it's not a place I'm too keen to go. I've been in the old den and the new den. And uh, they're pretty atmospheric, but they're also, um, I don't know what word to use, but um, uh, edgy, I'd say, is one, one word to use. And in both cases, I was actually neutral and, and with the home fans. I certainly wouldn't fancy going to the den as an away fan. Yeah, well, like that's what I mean. But if he can play there, you know, he can play in front of a hostile Aviva stadium. Yeah. Not that it is hostile, but you know what I mean. It's hostile if you're an opposition player. Um, Nathan Fitzpatrick says, uh, "Why do you think he keeps the five at the back when we're one 0 down? Surely you go to a four and bring on a forward." This is something I wanted to speak to you about, actually, Gary. Is Anthony Barry came in, we moved to that kind of back five. Before that, Stephen Kenny stuck with his 4-2-3. It was always 4-2-3, and you couldn't shift him from it. Now, it seems as though with Doherty out of the team, it's pointless playing with wing-backs, unless you're going to play this the fast ones. Like, he left Ryan Manning out of the squad as well, which I thought was ridiculous. And another player who who we should be looking at trying to play all going well with the under-21s, is Joel Bagan. We should be looking to get him in there. He's playing week in, week out for Cardiff, scoring goals, looks very comfortable, very good for the under-21s as well. Um, So I'd be looking at getting him in there and Ryan Manning, and I'd be looking to build for the future after this Nations League in terms of that left-wing back spot. Like Stevens and and, uh, and uh, McLean, they're just not the answer there. Look, I, I like having them as squad players, but I don't like having them as kind of players that you would have coming off the bench to try and make a difference and that's what he keeps on doing sorry with McLean and I think McLean did it against Lithuania to be fair uh to be fair to him when him and Troy Park come off the bench against Lithuania they did make a difference but against Armenia he didn't and against this one and I don't know where it was the lack of um ball he was getting because he, he didn't really get into the game you know I appreciate left wing back is a very hard position and right wing back to play but I don't think if you're not playing Matt Doherty in there I think you, you should probably look at 
maybe that 4-3-3 system and have maybe a Malumbi in there as busy alongside Cullen and then push Jeff Hendrick forward or whoever and or play another play Troy Parrott as a number 10 which he's comfortable in doing I just don't understand it um it seems to be like as I said when Anthony Barry came in that was it and uh I haven't heard um anything about this useless guy like when Barry came in it was all Anthony Barry Anthony Barry's a genius he's this he's that that's all we, like we heard more about him than we heard about Damien Duff or any of the other rest of them. He had such a good reputation. And now that he's gone, everything just looks like it's crumbling. A lot of people have commented it saying that he's he's been a huge loss. So I just kinda wanted to get your take on kind of where we where we go with that because it did come in, correct me if I'm wrong, when Anthony Barry was there, that's when that system came in. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I mean Anthony Barry came in in March, I think, if I'm correct, March last year. And uh, I think he's a big loss. I, I actually agree with people saying that he's a big loss. I, I'm not sure if the three at the back was, because I think a lot of us were actually saying maybe we should go three at the back because we did look pretty open. And playing three at the back and with wingbacks can be a very attacking uh, formation as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I take your point about um, we need we need pace in the wing back position. I mean, Chidozio Benny plays the wing back role for Rotherham. I know we haven't looked at him in in that role for an Irish shirt. It is very demanding. Both right wing back and left wing back are very demanding positions, and uh, it's particularly tough for somebody like uh, James McLean, who's I, I suppose the wrong side of thirty, and uh, for Seamus Coleman as well. To, I, I think Seamus is probably better suited now as part of the back three uh, rather than uh, right wing back. But maybe, well, you know him better than I do from the Everton performances this season. And he played over 30 games for Everton. But um, I think he's good yeah. at that centre back position, to be fair. And I think you get more, he, he's less likely to get injured playing there. Every time he yeah. plays right wing back, he gets injured, whether it's a groin injury or a hamstring injury, honestly. It's, it's a tough. Look, once players get into their 30s, they are more susceptible to injuries. And those those wing back roles are really, really tough. And uh, players can, can pick up injuries. They're, they're tough to play. I think you need younger players with, with a lot of pace. And uh, that's why I'm sorry we didn't call Danny McNamara in as well. Uh, I'd love to have got a look at him. Um, so, yeah, a change of formation. I don't know. I mean, do we go back to 4-3-3? I, I, I think, unfortunately, Stephen's under a lot of pressure now again. Um, are we back uh, to March last year where um, he was under serious pressure and it looked like he was a game or two away from the, the sack. And uh, th things definitely turned around. If you go back 12 months, uh, we finally got that win. Okay, it was only against Andorra. But we followed that up with a really, really impressive scoreless draw away to Hungary, who were just preparing for the Euros. Who just beat and England the other day. Who just beat England the other day. And they are, they are a decent side. That, that was a good result at the time. It maybe even looks a better result now. We took that into the September window. Very unlucky to lose in Faro, but no disgrace to lose the two Ronaldo goals to Portugal. Azerbaijan at home was a bit of a disaster, okay? Um, we were awful that night or that day. Uh, it was a Saturday, wasn't it? But um, came back against Serbia, got a good point, and then took it in 
really good October window, really good November window, very impressive against Portugal. Decent in March as well, even without Anthony Barry. Okay, Belgium might have been missing a few, but it was that was a very good result. And Lithuania, maybe the warning signs were there looking back. And uh, you see, you can look at that game two ways, and maybe we're looking a different way now. But we had four goals, I think, chalked off for offside before we eventually won it in the 97th minute. But the other way to look at that is teams like Lithuania, you should just put them to the sword and you should just blow them away because we shouldn't be toiling against... And we are toiling against these teams. We lost at home to Luxembourg. We drew at home to Azerbaijan. We really struggled to beat Lithuania. We lost away to Armenia. And, I mean, other countries are blowing these teams away. Uh, Norway put nine past Armenia. North Macedonia went to Yerevan and won 5 nil. Um, so it, 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 our performances against some of the lesser teams are really a concern. And now, um, okay, Ukraine are a decent side. They're probably very unfortunate not to be going to the World Cup. They played really well against Wales. But that team we saw was their, their second team. That was the B team. There were 10 changes. And uh, they still look good and they still look better than us. And that's a concern. So I think we've definitely been going backwards. And that's a long way of saying we certainly, I agree, we really miss Anthony Barry. But he was a guy who came in with a very good reputation. He had done really well at Chelsea. Chelsea headhunted him. And uh, we got him. It was great to get him to work with Stephen. And unfortunately, he did too well because Belgium, who were, I think, ranked first in the world at the time, went and headhunted him from us. And uh, he's going to be a key part of their preparation for the World Cup. And I see they turned around uh, last night as well. They had a, a disastrous home defeat against the Dutch. Uh, but they turned around and hammered Poland 6-1 last night. Yeah, well, I think um, Frank Lampard is actually still trying to get uh, Anthony Barry to Everton. That shows how much he rates him. Yeah. So uh, he's still trying to get him. to still talk from going to Everton, uh, after, maybe after the World Cup. But uh, Liam Shortall says, uh, it seems to me that nobody wants to shoot. I saw the second half of the Armenia game and there was too much passing around in front of the box and not enough shooting. At least that's my opinion. Uh, Gary, you were there. What What did you kind of feel like in that sense? Like, Are we too pass, 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 not enough conviction, not enough shooting? You know, when we do shoot, it's like, Pillow shots, I would call them. Um, you know, Hendrick strike against Armenia straight at the keeper. No power in it. The one by night. Uh, no real power in it. Good feet to get into the position. But that's kind of where, like, I don't know. Our players uh, yeah. just don't look like they, they're capable of shooting from distance. Although Josh Cullen took one good strike from distance. But we didn't see enough of it. I think that's Liam's point. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not even sure if it's shooting from distance. I, I think we are too much, without a doubt, of just keeping possession without necessarily knowing what to do with it because we're not actually even playing the possession game at a tempo that could open open teams up. I mean, teams like Armenia, they're, they're a poor side. I mean, they're the weakest team. Well, they, may, they might not agree with me, but they're probably the, by far the weakest team in League B. And we were lucky to draw them. And we didn't... I think only in the last five minutes when we got at them, you could see they were panicking. And really, with the amount of possession we had, we should have been putting proper passes through, getting at them. Yeah, maybe take more shots. But we didn't even create the openings to take shots. 
we just seemed to pass the ball around, pass it back. And it was comfortable for them. It was far too comfortable for them just to, to shuffle across. And uh, we might have dominated possession in Yerevan, but once they got on the ball, it was totally different. Because long before they scored, any time they got on the ball, they looked dangerous. They had our defence were troubled. And uh, that was that was the really concerning thing for me because they knew what to do when in possession and we didn't, even though we had far more possession. Yeah, well, just a, just a final uh, comment we're going to touch on here. Um, Kenny showed some frustration, or sorry, Ken Carmody says, Kenny's, Kenny showed some frustration with his players' choice of pass and speed of passing in both games. Too many flat and backwards passes. Kenny needs to drop players that don't show the bravery required. I think I th- I'm going to leave that comment up there in case anyone's wondering what we're speaking about. Um, I think that's a fair point. And in what I mean by that is, is that we're going to have to see some sort of players coming in. I like I, I think it's madness that Malumbi hasn't got a game. He's finished the season strongly at West Brom. Uh, surely he can come in for Hendrick. I mean, Hendrick was good in the first half. And as I say, his, uh, and you said too, his, his pass for Callum Robinson was very good. Excuse me. But... Other than that, I don't remember him doing too much. He was good defensively as well in the first half. I remember him making a few uh, decent blocks here and there. And uh, he looked composed. But as the game went on, and obviously that lack of fitness uh, crept up with him, and he's playing against a good side in Ukraine, albeit it's their second string, they're still a good side. And um, I think he's just he needs he needs a break out of the team. I think the next game against Scotland, I think Malumbi should come in there. Um, like Scotland aren't world beaters they've similar enough standard players to us that other than maybe Roberts I'd say anyone else you could say fair enough but I don't think other than Robertson they have too many players that you'd stand back and go whoa like he's a brilliant player they're good but I still think that you know but I, but then again we could be filled in I wouldn't say a B team but a, a rake of new players like CJ Hamilton could come in for Rug Benny uh, Obafemi could come in for Robinson. Troy Power could come in somewhere there as well. So I'm expecting kind of big changes coming into the next one. And I think Kenny does need to be a bit braver in terms of picking some players because what I predict he'll do is he'll bring in someone like a McLean uh, for this game and be expecting him to to win the game for us. And I, I just don't think he's going to do that. I think, as I said, he's been playing well. He's had his, his best season for a while, McLean. But I just maybe, if you're going to play him, Maybe play him as a left winger in a front three of a 4-3-3, but don't play him as the left wing back because I just don't think defensively um, he's as good as maybe like a Ryan Manning who plays there all the time. When he's playing there for uh, for Wigan, I think he's far better because he's more licensed to get forward and they're more dominant in terms of get, uh, you know going at teams, whereas obviously with Ireland it's very much a defence-minded team. Now he's done well in the games he's played left wing back, but... I just feel like we need more pace on on the wings that's going to be able to get up and down for the majority of the 90 minutes, like a Ryan Manning, like a, a Festio Bozzelli on both sides. Like It would be interesting to see what way that that happens now. Yeah, the, the one actually would worry me. I, I agree Andy Robertson is a, a class player. Obviously, he's on a very strong Liverpool side. But he is playing as, as a full-back or as a wing-back. Uh, so maybe not the most uh, dangerous in that position or, or from that point of view. I, I'd actually be concerned about John McGinn as well. I think he's got that bit of quality about him. But 
this is going to be a bit of a local derby. Um, even though we're obviously not British, it's very much going to be British football. Players probably know each other from playing against each other as well. So um, it will be very much a different type of game to what we saw last night or saw on Saturday. I think there will be a couple of changes. Um, maybe bring in James because of the, the derby factor. I'm not so sure. I think Michael Obafemi definitely deserves to start. I think he will start. And uh, yeah, I, I, you can't really argue and say, having seen the two games and the two performances with more or less the same team, that there probably won't be a few changes. Yeah, I, I, I think Jason Malumbi in midfield is a good shout. I think Jeff Hendrick gets a lot of stick. I think he's actually a better player in an Ireland shirt than he gets credit for. But, um, yeah, it's I, I think it's become a, a really important, a really crucial game now. Sorry about my mute there. For, I'm going to be doing an opposition preview later on with um, the Scottish Football Podcast, so you can check that out later on when I do that and kind of get an idea uh, of what they're going to be like if you don't know already. Um, we're going to leave it there. We're 51 minutes in, so uh, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, if you're new to the channel, don't forget to subscribe. Um, if you're joining us late, you can watch it back when we're done, and we'll be putting it out as a podcast as well if you want to listen back to the whole thing and uh, the rest of our um, videos as well be going out as podcasts. So, uh, yeah, drop a like on the video. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks very much for watching, and God bless. We'll speak to you all very, very soon. Thanks, guys. The IFF TV Podcast, presented by Paul Nealon. Like, rate, and subscribe.